Good morning, everyone. I want to begin by saying a huge thank you again for the overwhelming warmth and welcome that I have received during the last three months. I was at Christchurch Primary School yesterday talking with the children going from class to class. And they wanted to know how long I've been a bishop and what a bishop does. And you should see the look on their faces when I said to them that I am a baby bishop. <laughs> Three months old, a baby bishop. So here goes that I felt about the possibility of coming to serve you. In particular, when I saw the words on the paperwork that I was sent, changed lives, changing lives. I remember immediately feeling a sense of being drawn, a sense of wanting to be a part of this journey with you. I was actually commissioned 38 years ago as a, a church army officer. And five years ago, when I began serving as the priest in charge of St. Mary at Hill, I learned that the founder of the church army, Wilson Carlyle, himself a priest at that time, also served at St. Mary at Hill in the city of London. And back in 1882, while he was serving there, he noticed that there were more people walking past the door than were inside. And I noticed that too when I was there. Lots of people going by. And he had a great solution. And that was to take his trombone. And he went outside stood on the steps of his church, and he played his trombone. And this drew a crowd. When he had gotten the crowd together, then he shared with them the good news. Today you might refer to this as an early piece of pioneer ministry. The in-word, the buzzword at the moment. Indeed, 95% of the work that the church army did then could have been described as pioneer work. Back in 1979, when I first came to the UK to train with the church army, I was joining an organization with a great passion to share the gospel in words and action. They were in parishes, they ran beach missions, youth centers, mother and baby units, homes for the elderly, and women's center. They've scaled back most of that residential project work, but can still be found doing challenging work on the streets with the homeless, with prostitutes, young people, or those being trafficked. Always seeking new ways of delivering the message of God's good news. This passion for the gospel should be at the heart of the church's mission and ministry. 
partake in God's mission with you, to lead you in that mission. It is a mission that should be at the forefront of our hearts and minds. And actually, we need to be excited by this mission. If we're not excited by the message we share, by being part of God's mission, then nothing we do, whether we call it traditional ministry or pioneer ministry, nothing we do will actually inspire others. Our apparent changed lives will in no way set about changing others' lives if we ourselves are not excited by that which we seek to share. I want to be part of a church that is passionate about living the gospel in words and deeds. A church unafraid and not embarrassed to confidently speak of Jesus. I therefore invite us to move from the place of fear in which we stand, to move from the place of suspicion and conspiracy theory, to move from the place of them and us, to climb out of our boxes with brightly fluorescent labels stuck all over these boxes under the guise of some self-indulgent purity, which is really intended to keep others away from us and away from God's church. Brick by brick, together, we must break down the wall that we have spent so much of our time, so much of our resources building up to use simply as a weapon to separate us from one another. We need to take those walls down. I wonder what we might look like as a diocese if we worked at creating a sense of belonging, a sense of community where all are invited in. The parables, <clears throat> the parables of the lost coin, the lost sheep, the prodigal son are all about welcoming in those, whether they're accidentally lost, as in the coin, deliberately self-excluded, as in the prodigal son, or idly wandering away, as in the lost sheep. So much of what Jesus did was actually about seeking, seeking out the lost, seeking out the vulnerable, and those most disadvantaged in society. Think of Nicodemus, the woman at the well, the widow of Nain, the many healing miracles. Jesus, in responding to their immediate needs, was really encouraging them into feeling a sense of belonging. I wonder what Nicodemus felt like there he was hiding up the tree to be identified, called down. 
and not just called down and told what a terrible sinner he was, but called down and told, I am coming to have tea with you. I wonder what that felt like for him. I recently read somewhere that belonging comes before believing. Belonging comes before believing. So the people who we want to share the good news with, the people who we want to believe in Jesus Christ, we have to create the kind of atmosphere where they can feel that sense of belonging that they are a part of. That is really important. The woman at the well first felt drawn into that circle of trust with Jesus. The time, the respect, the patience, and affirmation he gave her enabled her eventually to get to that place of belief. And look what happened next. She went and drew others to Christ. Can we commit to breaking down those artificial walls that seeks to tell others they need to be like us, otherwise they cannot belong? We need to think about the messages that we are giving. This, my sisters and brothers, telling folks that they cannot or they have to jump through this hoop or that is actually contrary to the gospel. I want to be totally honest with you and say that I want to see a church of England, I want to see our diocese, I want to see our parishes and benefices filled with people whose lives have been changed due to their relationship with Jesus Christ, inviting others into a relationship with Christ so that their lives can be changed too. I want to see a growing church, but this growing church cannot simply be about the numbers. The numbers are important, but it cannot simply be about the numbers. It must also be about making disciples. I went to a function the other evening in London, and uh, a young woman came up to me to speak, and she told me that she had belonged to a very prominent church, and that she had done the Alpha course, but she no longer went to church, she said. And what was interesting, she said this. She said, you know what I think? I think when I did that course, they were simply trying to get me to jump through a hoop. They did not tell me how to make this a daily life experience. And we need to think about that. What is it that we are trying to do in terms of whatever the courses are that we put people on? 
business of making people disciples. And also realization that we are engaging in God's mission. I want us as a church, a diocese, to step off the revolving wheel where we're just full of activity after activity and actually to create a clear sense of purpose. Who are we? What are we about? What are the values that's directing us in the things that we do? We need a clear sense of purpose and a clear sense of direction. Where are we going? So that others will feel confident about joining us on that journey and being part of something that they feel they can belong to. I want us to stop living on the edge financially, striving merely to survive from month to month or year by year with what often feels like it has actually been given to God begrudgingly. I want us to truly be the body of Christ. So to enable all this going forward, my priorities I want to share with you as a synod. Some of you may have already heard it, and you're going to keep hearing it. We're all going to keep hearing it until it starts or happens in a big way. So my priorities. Firstly, I want to encourage us as a church to be the kind of church that truly accepts prayer as the very oxygen of our lives. And you know what happens if you are starved of oxygen? We die. So if prayer is going to be our oxygen, then we need to be in tune with God in such a way that with each breath we are at prayer. I once heard someone speak about being in a, uh, sharing a dorm, and he said that in his dorm there were Christians, and what he didn't know at the time was that they were not just any old Christians, but that they were Peter and Paul of the Christian tradition. In other words, they prayed. They prayed regularly. And he said sometimes they prayed loudly. <laughs> we need to be Peter and Paul. We need to accept that prayer is the very thing that without it, we simply will shrink and die. And maybe that is what we are seeing in our shrinking. Maybe it is because the church of Jesus Christ is failing to keep that oxygen tank open so that we can keep breathing normally in a way that enables us to be in tune with God. To do this, it means spending time in community.
communion with God, listening to God, not just speaking, but listening to God. But beware, because this might mean that you have to dispense with your social media. You may have to switch Alexa off. You may have to give up whatever your favorite soap opera is so that you can give that time usefully to God. And then my second priority. My second priority is that we ensure that we become a church that dwells in the Word. A church that reads the Scripture. Not just once a day, but regularly. You know the same way. Could you just show me your hands if you get a daily newspaper? Put your hands up. Don't be shy. Okay, thank you. Put your hands up if you read the newspaper online. Okay, perhaps half and half. Now the same time, go back and assess this. The same time that we give to the newspaper, I wonder if we give that time with scripture. I wonder if we are patient. You know, we go from page to page. We skip page three, I hope. And, and we, we go from page to page, and actually we dwell with it, don't we? We can tell all the different stories that we have read. I wonder if we do that with the Word of God, if we stay with it. If we ask, what was Jesus saying to those who heard it then? And what might he be saying to me today in this particular circumstances? You see, we need to become so familiar with the word that at those critical points in our lives, as a church, as a family, we are able to call on God. That's what Jesus did. We've just had a, the story of the temptation over a week ago. And that's what Jesus did. When he was being tempted, he was able to call on the scriptures. On the cross, he was also able to call on the scriptures because he had learned it. He had memorized it. He had made it his own. In the words of that colleague, he had read, Mark learned, and inwardly digested the word of God. I want us to be a church where this becomes a second nature to us. And not just the people who wear dog collars, not just the people who are readers, not just the, the people who comes and is always sitting in the front row, I want us to disciple each other so that we read the scripture. Perhaps try sharing what you have read. Perhaps trying it, if you don't have the time to pray with your partners, how about saying to your partners, over breakfast, guess what I read this morning? What did you read? Let's try sharing the word learning the word, calling 
the word so that we can experience God's blessing as his people. My third priority is that we become a church which live generous lives. I mentioned earlier that I didn't want us to be a church where we were giving in a begrudging way. As a church, we need to truly acknowledge God's generosity. This is one of the first verses that I learned as a child in Sunday school. For God so loved the world that he gave. Why is it then that we are afraid to give? For God so loved the world that he gave his son. He gave his son, and Jesus said that he came that we may have life and have it more abundantly. So I wonder why we go about life feeling a little bit sorry for ourselves. We go about life feeling a little bit apologetic. My bishop in Jamaica, sadly he died uh, uh, and was buried in December. But he, when people said, when he asked folks, how are you? And they would say, not so bad with Bishop. And he would say to them, I wasn't accusing you of anything. <laughs> you know, we, we, we sort of take that sense of half full and we're not quite sure but God's generosity is positive. God's generosity is flowing over, overflowing. Maybe, maybe the cups, maybe the vessels that we are using are broken. Maybe they have holes in it, and so the water is flowing out instead of running over as it should be. We need to learn to be generous. This God of ours who continues to give, ask that we too give in the same measure that he gives. And this will mean going forward that we do not give to God from our leftovers. You know, we wait until we're really tired, and then we say, oh Lord, you understand, we won't bother praying tonight, we won't bother saying our prayers, because we're really, really tired. Why don't we do it when we're not so tired? We wait until we are, the, the collection plate is right there in front of us. Then we start rummaging in our pockets and rummaging in our bags, and then the, the coins that we find, we give it. Why do we do that? Why do we think it's good enough for God? When we go into the pub to get a pint, and I don't know what a pint is nowadays, but I don't drink a pint. How much is a pint nowadays? Three or four pounds. Okay. Why do we think it's, it's okay? You probably have a couple of pints. Why do you think it's okay? to give God one pound. I don't understand that. 
Why do we think that it's okay, you know, the journey that it would take us for the bus ride to the market and back, and, and yet we give God less than that for the work of his ministry, his mission. Why do we think that that's okay? It isn't okay. I recall visiting a parishioner in Hackney. Her husband was at home. He said, Sister Rose, they're Caribbean, so I'm doing the patrol. <laughs> he said, Sister Rose, come here. She garnered in market again. Come and look in my cupboard. And he took me through the kitchen. He opened all the cupboards. They were bulging. They had a huge freezer. The freezer couldn't close. He said, Sister Rose, we don't need anything enough, but every day she gone at the market and bring back stuff. We have to stop and think about what we are doing with the gifts that God has given to us, whether it be our time, our money, our skills, etc. And we need to give it with a joyful heart, a real joyful heart, not from leftovers. When we, leave when we live generous lives, the words of the Francis Ridley hymn jumps from being mere words on paper to become a living reality. And I'm not going to sing it, but I'm going to sing those words again. They are well-known words that you know, that we've all sung regularly. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and take my days and let them flow in ceaseless praise. Ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet, let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Don't wait until you get a little bit tipsy and then you sing. Sing all the time. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and take my gold. Not a mite would I dethrone. We lie. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart. It is thy own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself, and I will be only ever all for thee. I'm going to suggest to us that the next time you have this hymn at your church, don't sing it if you don't mean it. Don't sing it. Those are really important words. They are a real prayer. My fourth priority, evangelism. 
church that takes seriously the great commission to go and tell. We have mistaken that commission. And I'll tell you why I say we have mistaken that commission. I say that because we seem to think that church is about us and for us. So we claim our seats. <clears throat> and when we try to bring new people in, we complain because the new people who have come in are not quite church savvy. They don't know how to find their way in your books, our books. They don't know when to sit to or stand. We get offended because they don't genuflect in the right places. They don't cross themselves. The church was not meant for us to be in a holy huddle. We were meant to go out and tell. So who have you told? In the last week, who have you told about Jesus? I'm going to be naughty. Through the car. 
of relationship that we see patterned in Jesus' relationship with his Father and the Holy Spirit. Read again the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. This captures something of the oneness that was shared. As our lives are deepened, I believe we will see a flourishing and an empowering of lay and ordained leadership in our church. And it will be from this that we will begin to see a real flow in the direction of generosity towards those who are most disadvantaged and in our care of the environment. Some of these things are already happening through the missional learning communities, the Canterbury Diet just getting on the way, the work of the prayer guides, the work being done to ensure we incorporate young people into the life of the church, our engagement with our refugee project, etc. We need to commit ourselves to building God's kingdom. And this is not something for the archbishop. This is not something for the bishop. This is not something for the people in Dorbert Collars alone. It is something for all of us who've been baptized into the Christian fellowship. So, my brothers and sisters, this must be our heartbeat. And I believe that if we get the heartbeat right, the rest will flow.